Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. Prodigy Maker Show, episode 23. It's Chris. I'm here another night with my co-host, Sammy. Sammy's kind of sleeping right now. He's taking a little nap. Sammy, you want to say hello? Say hello, buddy. This is my boy. Hey, I didn't see him all day, so I kind of missed him, so I'll give him a snuggle. How you doing? You rest. I'll do the show. You want to take a break? If you want to share some insights into the secrets of the forehand, you let me know. Okay, buddy? You take a rest. All right, cool. So, we're back. Another episode. I'm excited. I'm going to talk about the... Big forehand, we call it the big forehand show. Oh, you want to join in the show, Sammy? All right, Sammy's here. He's ready. Have you guys checked out Sammy's new Instagram and Facebook page? It's called Sammy the Tennis Dog. You can check it out. It's pretty cool. And you can follow the life and adventures of Sammy the Tennis Dog. He's the famous Tennis Academy dog. Right, Sammy? Yeah, he knows, he knows the show. He knows the show's on. So if you come to my summer camp in Vermont, an excellent camp, I might, I might add a high-performance camp for serious players, you will get to meet Sammy, and he'll probably give you a nice hug. So I put in my plug for my camp, and I'm really excited to talk to you guys about the forehand tonight. I see some old friends are already tuning in, and I'm excited for a big show I like to see old friends on the show. Sometimes we get some big names tuning in and adding their commentary, and we get a lively debate going. And sometimes I just rap, you know, doing my thing and sharing my thoughts about the game and junior development. So this show is designed for parents, players, and coaches. And, you know, I was thinking about why I started doing this show. And, you know, I have these amazing planning calls with parents, like meetings with parents, and some of them, went, they go on for hours. I, I've had calls with parents, planning meetings and goal setting and answering uh, parents' questions, sometimes hour and a half call or two hour call, just because the parents really had uh, a lot of questions. They wanted to know, you know what, what was the right thing to do for their child, and sometimes I had these amazing calls, and I get off the line, and I'd be like, man, that was an awesome call. We went over some amazing topics and, you know, there was a lot of wisdom on that call and it was a really interesting call and we never saved it. Like there was no archive of the call and there was no way to save that information. So then I thought to myself, you know, if I did something like that where I answered parents' questions or coaches' questions, you know, or, or, or players' questions online, 
if we did it on Facebook Live, then there would be uh, it would be saved and we could it would live for perpetuity, you know, in this format and other people could benefit from the live Q&A. So that was sort of the the impetus for starting the show and the show's just kind of blown up and 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 we're trying to grow now and now we have the podcast which is really cool you can get the podcast on iTunes and the show is quite popular on YouTube so if you have YouTube or if you like to listen to podcasts check out the show there as well so let's get down to business and talk about the forehand there's a couple of different ways we can go at it you guys can throw out questions about forehand development to me and I'm happy to answer those as they as they show up in the commentary. But, you know, to give, the, to give the show a little bit of structure, I thought I'd start talking about the technique of the forehand, the way I see modern forehand development, which is, I think, very different than the way most coaches are doing it. So I wanted to talk about that. And I did also want to talk about how they do it in Spain and what are the differences between the method that I use and the method that, you know, I've studied in Spain with people like Luis Bruguera or Tony Nadal or Pato Alvarez, got, you know, the big names in Spain who I've spent some time with and, and learned from. So I thought that would be interesting as well. And then later on in the show, if we don't get too wrapped up in the forehand, I guess pun intended, I, I thought we'd talk about junior development and why I think junior development is not necessarily a marathon. I, I wrote a new article about that and I posted it online. I'm going to be sharing it more this weekend, but I really think that a lot of coaches use the cliche that junior development is a long-term thing. You know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a commonly heard trope in the industry. And I just don't agree with it. I have a different take on it. And I think that in many ways, the speed at which you develop a player, the quicker you can get a player from A to B, is it, it says a lot about you as a coach. It, it, it reflects on your, your quality, the, the level of coach that you are. And it's also better for the kid. You know, if you can get a kid to the top faster, I think it's better. So I sort of want to take a, a different perspective on whether long-term junior development shouldn't be judged based on time or rate or speed, you know. So that's kind of an interesting topic, and I have a a lot of thoughts. I've written some articles on that, and I I really would like to dig into that, maybe have a debate about that. We'll see if we can get to it at the end of the show. So the forehand. Okay, here's another little story, not the story about how I started the show, but – a story about the way we developed the forehand. And I think we've been developing the forehand as coaches or high-performance coaches the same way for for many decades now. And I sort of got tired of it. I don't want to say I got bored doing it that way, but I don't know. There's something inside of me that wants to challenge the status quo and something inside of me that that always tries to look outside the box. So when it came to the forehand and the model for the forehand, I think what we do is is very old school. And especially in the U10, like red, orange, green, the younger kids level, 
it's extremely traditional and stiff. So that's sort of how the story started with me personally on my journey to de- to working on developing really good forehands with my players. I would call them modern forehands, right? So, guys, thanks for all the waves. I see a lot of people shouting out. Really appreciate it. I see some old friends. Thank you guys for supporting the program. Really appreciate it. So, getting back to my little story. So, I thought to myself, okay, all of the, pretty much all the best coaches who I've studied with, they teach the forehand very traditionally. And so it, it sort of takes a lot of guts, a lot of balls, a lot of courage to try it a different way. And I thought to myself, how, how can we do it a little faster? Speaking of rate or speed of development, how can we develop the forehand uh, faster, better, and more modern, to, more reflective of what you see on the Pro Tour? And what you see on the Pro Tour is very elastic, technique. You see fluidity, you see explosiveness, you see forehands that are, players are coming off the ground, their arms are very loose, and the swings are very whippy with a lot of acceleration. You also see swings that are typified by rotation, uh, they're circular swings, parabolic swings, and you see finishes that are unorthodox. You see in the modern forehand, you see finishes or follow-throughs, whatever you want to call them. You see lower follow-throughs. I call them inverted follow-throughs or, or inverted finishes. You see reverse finishes. You see hook finishes. And we can talk about those terms. Uh, guys, if you have any questions about the the technique, please shout, shout them out and I'll, I'll go through them uh, as I see them. And also remember, if you just want to sit back and enjoy the show and maybe think of a question later, you can always post it in the comments. And I check all the comments after the show and I I will follow up after the show. So getting back to the foreign and my little story, I'm just kind of a stubborn guy. And I don't like people telling me to do it the way it's always been done. And I'm sort of an iconoclast that way. And so the iconoclastic side of me the stubborn side of me, the, the, the outside of the box sort of thinker said, okay, I have little kids in front of me. How can I get them to look more modern? How can I build the more modern style that I'm seeing on the pro tour in a safe way, in a healthy way for those kids, but to speed up the development timeline? And so that's how it sort of got started. And it was really hard for me at first. This was probably going back... I want to say five, maybe seven years ago. So not too long ago because I've been coaching high performance more than 15 years now. Uh, Maybe closer between, uh, gosh, I might be closer to 16, 17 years now. So this is not too long ago in my evolution as a coach. And so I thought, I thought, how can I, how can I do this differently? That saves time, but still safe. Because that's often a question that coaches have, you know, if we don't teach the traditional way, is it going to be safe for a little kid, you know, the movements? And I I had those concerns as well. So I tried to develop a method of teaching the modern foreign safely, 
I'm going to call it the modern forehand for lack of a better term, just so you guys can follow along. So I, I can remember back to the, the first lessons that I did, and it took a lot of courage because my old coach was also one of the greatest influences in, in my life and my career was Gilad Bloom, the Israeli former Davis Cup player, Pro Tour player, and and a brilliant technician. And Gilad also taught a very traditional forehand, the way that I've seen it from virtually every other great coach who I've studied with. It's the same forehand I saw with Luis Bruguera from Spain. We can talk about that more later, talk about the Spanish forehand. It's the same forehand that I, I've seen Tony Nadal teach, same forehand, you know, pretty much that Pato Alvarez in Spain teaches, you know. It's the same forehand that Robert Lansdorp stresses. You know, it's like a very traditional forehand. It's linear. It's trans transfer the weight from back to front. It's extension and it's follow through to the ear or follow through to the shoulder. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know what it looks like. If you want me to demo it for you guys on the in the video audience, you know, you viewers, let me know. Uh, it won't be much help for the podcast listeners later, but... You know, I'm happy to do that. I didn't bring my racket, but guys, guess what I have? I have, I have a Filipino fighting stick. So if we need any demos, I'm ready to go with my Filipino fighting stick. Yes, it's a Kali stick, also called a Screma. And yes, I used to study some Kali, Filipino, <laughs> Filipino stick and knife fighting. So, you know, don't mess with me on the street, right? Uh, I have my Filipino fighting stick, and I'm ready to demonstrate any kind of techniques with my fighting stick. Sorry, guys, left my rackets in the car. Okay, all right, getting back to my little story. Hold on, I'm getting hot. i got to change. Sammy, what's up? You want to go to the couch? All right, I'll let you go. Sorry, guys, Sammy's got to, he, he's asking for the couch. i got to let him go. Go, boy. No, go, go sleep at sleep night-night. Sleep at night-night on the couch. Oh, good boy. All right, sorry, guys. Okay, my boy, Brian Bleem. First comment of the night. What's up? No, that's okay. You can ask any question you want. Let's see what you got here. Brian Bleem is a fan of the show. Let's see what he says. Not to get off the forehand, but speaking of injury-free movements, is there any issues with teaching an 11-year-old Eastern backhand grip for the kick serve. Okay, it's off the topic, Brian, but that's okay because that's what this show is all about, answering questions from, from the audience around the world, and there is absolutely no problem with using an Eastern backhand grip for the kick serve. In fact, it's one of my secrets for developing the spin and the effect of the kick serve because what it does is it closes the racket face at the top and it helps the player get a feel for the spin. But maybe more importantly, because it restricts the movement of the wrist, it, it's kind of, it sort of blocks the movement. It feels very uncomfortable for the player to use that Eastern backhand grip. It forces the player to release, to learn how to move their wrist fluidly and accelerate uh, their also their elbow, their whole lower forearm. They're forced to move that fluidly. And, and, and to be loose there, and that is very critical for young kids when they're learning the kick serve. So absolutely no issue, in my opinion, 
again, this is my, my opinion, as it's not, uh, I'm not a doctor, but in my experience, we, I teach that grip all the time, never an injury, never, never an issue with the wrist. Uh, the biggest issue for young kids when teaching the kick serve, and I think you can teach the kick serve quite young. I teach the kick serve at a very young age, sometimes eight, nine, 10, 11, is you need to keep the lumbar spine straight. So you can have an arch in the thoracic spine and in the cervical spine. So that's behind the neck and behind the upper back. That part of the spine is made to extend. That, that part is made to, to bend. And the lower part, the lumbar spine, has to, has to be kept straight. So you have to be very careful if players are, are extending or hyperextending their lumbar spine, and you have to watch out for that, right? And that usually happens with bad, uh, just a bad habit or a bad toss, a toss that's too extreme to the left. So the other big issue with injury for the kick serve is the shoulder. And the shoulder, when it's in that position slightly left, is is it's not it's in a precarious position in general it's not a natural place for the shoulder to be and and it's quite there, there's a lot of load on the shoulder from from that position so i don't think you can't teach or learn a kick serve at, at a young age but you have to be careful in how many reps you do with the kid you know don't go out and do the same amount of reps as you would with the flat serve and most experts now are recommending fewer and fewer serves per session so, for example, Tony Nadal says only 20 or 30 serves per session. Mark Kovac says, you know, 60 to 80 serves per session. Don't go crazy with the serves uh, per, uh, per session because it, it's a lot on the little kid's shoulder. So when you're doing kick serve work with the little kid, you have to be extra careful because it's, the shoulder is in a more precarious position, a weaker position, and it's experiencing more load. So that, that's what I would advise you in terms of working on kick serve with a young kid like 9, 10, 11, 12. And I hope that helps. If you have a follow through, let me know. Guys, I got to get back to my little forehand story. Okay. So it seems to me that everyone in the world teaches like this forehand that's It, it exists. It has existed in time since God knows when. Are we talking you know, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. It goes back way, way back. I mean, way before even the 80s, 70s and 80s, you know. It's a very linear forehand. It's generally Eastern grip, you know. It's weight shift from back to front. It's extend and transfer the weight as you're meeting the ball. And, and following through low to high, as we all know, the, the, the teaching phrase, and finishing to the ear or to the top of the shoulder, you know, and, or, or catching the racket even out in front, you know, that's often taught too. And for some reason, this old, old school model of the forehand still exists. It will not die. It won't end. And I don't understand why coaches cling to it so much. They call it the fundamentals. You know, I'm studying with Tony Nadal now, right now on his online course. And Tony Nadal, as great a coach as that, is teaching little kids a forehand from, from ages ago. Very stiff. Very traditional with a high finish around the ear. And it's just 
blows my mind. I mean, I love a lot of Tony's stuff, but I would never teach a foreign like that now. You know, from what I know now, the experiences that I've had. So anyway, getting back to the, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, and I had to take the risk to start teaching it differently. And I had to go against all of my mentors and all of the the greatest technical coaches that I, I, I've ever known or studied with, like Gilad, my my great mentor, and and many other, you know, coaches who I whom I studied with. And I had to like take this leap of faith and say, okay, I'm gonna try to teach the forehand differently, modern, as as safe as I can right away. You know, I'm not gonna waste any time with this. BS, you know, I think it's BS where you, you teach a young kid a totally different stroke from ages ago, Let, let's say 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. You teach them that and you call it the foundation and you call it the fundamentals, quote unquote, I'm making air quotes here. And then down the, down the road later, you're going to, you're, it's going to sort of evolve or you're going to change it to make it more like what you see now, what most pros are doing now. And I just think that's ridiculous. It doesn't, it doesn't seem right to me. It didn't seem right to me. And I knew there was a better way and I just had to sort of go for it. So that's what I did. And years ago I, I started, I, I started with the open stance and I think that's the way to go. You start by teaching a semi-open to open stance. You load and you jump in the air and spin the kids in the air. Okay, so probably any of you who are like traditional coaches right now, you're like, whatevs, this guy is completely bonkers. And I know that. I know it's quote unquote wrong because everyone I've studied with said it was, it was the wrong way to teach a kid, but it's actually right. It works. It works really, really well. And I've done it with hundreds of kids and I'm, I'm teaching it. I taught it this this evening, I was teaching all day today after school and into the evening, you know, on my, on Thursdays here. So I just got back from the courts. My, you know, guys, I'm a coach. I'm not just some internet uh, personality here. So, and I've been teaching this forehand for years now and it works really well. It saves a lot of time and it's actually not that difficult to teach it to young kids as long as you have a good progression and a good model. So the way that I do it, is you start out with the base and you start with an open stance and you actually tell the kids to jump. So that gets, what, what that gets is it gets this sort of parabolic swing shape going on. It basically breaks the mold of the linear swing. So I have kids coming to me from all over, from other clubs and stuff, and they're so stiff and they're stepping in every ball and they're not rotating their hips or their torso. And they're following through stiff to the, to the shoulder, to the neck. And I just break it. I break it completely. You know, I start them. I say, Hey, we're going to do open and we're going to load and explode. I still like that saying from the old USBTA teaching courses. You know, I, I still, it's easy for kids to remember. You load your legs and then you explode off the ground. Both feet leaving the ground like Tony Nadal likes. Uh, he, he does like that for the forehand, the advanced forehand, not the beginners. But I teach it to the beginners. And, and then you start getting this magical parabolic swing path. And what I mean by parabolic is simply circular, a circular swing path, right? And 
it's like magic. It starts to loosen up the arm. You start to get a fluidity. You start to get an elastic swing. And you, you can start to build age-appropriate whip. It's important that everything is done in an age-appropriate way so that it's healthy and safe. But you have to be willing to take the leap of faith and dive in and, and completely alter the way that you, you start kids out, you know, in learning the technique and, and starting with the footwork, you know, and the loading and the stance. So that's what I had to do back, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I don't know exactly when. And I'm not sure who the first guinea pig was, God bless them, but it, it had to be someone. Someone had to go first. So I just started doing it at the risk of, you know, parents looking at me like, hey, dude, are you, what are you teaching this? What are you teaching? That doesn't look like anything I've seen at other places and at the risk of criticism from, from my peers and, and so on and so forth. So it took a lot of guts, basically. So that's the, like the original little story, little anecdote. And so over the years, you know, going on five, six, seven years now, I've sort of developed a system and a method for doing it and and I've learned from small mistakes and and I've gotten better at teaching this foreign and so I've got it down to a very nice simple method that I'm happy to share with you guys and it starts with the open stance and then you you got to get this round swing shape like this like the kids are swinging around the world or around like a big giant physio ball and a big exercise ball they have to get that round circular swing Emilio Sanchez calls it the circular swing and so I, I set out on this journey like, okay, how do I get that? How do I get that circular swing? Well, I'm not even going to really stress it to the kids that much. What I'm going to do is get them using the open stance. For, for you guys who are really technical, it's a semi-open. I teach more of a semi-open, not like a full open. But I just, for, for simplicity's sake, I call it an open stance. So when I say open stance, I, I really am re referring to a semi-open for young kids, but... Um, I just wanted to make that clear to you guys. So you get this circular swing shape. And then here's the other thing. Okay, I started with that. And then somewhere along the line, maybe a, a few years back, I started teaching the inverted finish. So if you guys have been following me online, for those of you who've been around a while, watched the show, and, and been you know following me for many years, the inverted finish is when the racket finishes low like the follow-through is really low below the hand so at the end of the swing if you want me to demonstrate it let me know so the the instead of finishing high to the ear like you see in every manual uh, ev that every every coach has been teaching that way since the beginning of time they teach little kids and they say what swing low to high and follow through to the shoulder right so i said forget that let's forget that let's do the opposite you know let's let's go and take this finish and go way, way low, down by the hip even, you know. And that breaks the muscle memory of the player because I have all these kids coming to me and they're stiff and they're closed and they're locked to the ground and they're following through up here by the ear, right? So I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I'm going to get them to load, open, jump, rotate their hips, swing circular, and forget that stiff finish. Let's finish really low, and I'm going to grab them by the forearm and physically manipulate their arm 
to make them feel the windshield wiper movement and to make them feel how loose they need to be through, through feel, through a kinesthetic approach rather than through that. We, I use a little demonstration, but mostly my method is to get in there and, and actually adjust the kids manually, sort of like a chiropractor or a martial arts, arts co- coach works. I take a lot of martial arts myself and I've been heavily influenced by the teaching style of martial artists. And in martial arts, there's a lot of hands-on adjustments. And I think that's critical to learning, in this case, the forehand, but really any technique. I think hands-on adjusting is much, much better than than using uh, words, verbal cues, and, and even better than visual demonstration. Although a good visual demonstration can, can be helpful. But I think visual demonstrations are oftentimes flawed. So the coach or whoever's doing the demo is not doing it very well. And also, a lot of kids don't learn that great just by watching someone, right? Okay, so Brian Bleem is hot on the program tonight. Brian, thank you for your questions and your support of the show. He says, is this using a semi-Western grip and the inverted follow-through? Yes, so... Exactly. I don't want to waste time by teaching an Eastern or too conservative grip. I'll teach the grip that I want right away and monitor it through the lifetime of the player rather than teaching it like Eastern and then sort of hoping that or expecting that it will slip and evolve. A lot of coaches do that. It's not not the worst way to go, but I just don't think it's the most efficient. It's not the best way, not the fastest way to get it right. So I teach the grip the way that I want it. And then I monitor the kid to make sure that they're not slipping. There's no slippage, right? Guys, I see a lot of old friends tuning in and waving. I really appreciate the support. You know, this show doesn't exist without the support of the audience. And I just want to thank you all for tuning in and waving. We used to do a lot of individual shout outs, uh, but I'm trying to make the show more podcast friendly because our podcast audience is growing. So uh, if I don't get call you out individually, uh, just know that I do really appreciate all your support and I appreciate your waves. And I, I love answering your questions. So if you have any questions about junior development, tonight's topic is how to build that big modern forehand, or the Spanish forehand. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, I'm happy to answer, right, guys? So, uh, Brian, you want to use a semi-Western grip right away? Forget that old school Eastern or or anything classic. And just make sure you monitor it because some kids do experience slippage in the grip. And the inverted follow-through is the, the low finish. That can be by the hip. It can be by the elbow. It can be by the, uh, it can be to the bicep. You know, if you're, if you're not comfortable going super low, uh, if you think your parents will freak out or the kid's going to freak out, you know, you can you can start by finding a middle ground following through to like the bicep and it can still be inverted. Inverted describes the relationship between the racket and the hand. Inverted means the racket is dangling below the hand. And I have another term that I sort of coined and it's called the drift. At the end of the swing, the racket should drift. You should see a nice flow of the racket. It shouldn't be stopping abruptly stiffly it should flow down and sometimes it flows down inverted and then it actually rises up so the the swing goes low high across low high at the end 
rather rather than than the low to high. In my version of, of the forehand, it goes low, high, across, circular fashion, down, and finishing inverted, or sometimes finishing inverted and then drifting up or back. And, you know, Dennis Vandermeer called it sort of the figure eight style forehand. So I, I'm, I'm definitely with Dennis on that. R.I.P. Dennis. And uh, some other coaches um, may have different names for it, like Heath Waters calls it the Millennium Forehand. And I have a lot of respect for Heath and his technical work and his expertise. You know, I've been very impressed with a lot of the stuff that he uh, Heath produces. Heath Waters is a junior and former professional coach from Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're interested in the Millennium Forehand, he's published a lot on that. And whatever you want to call it, Millennium Forehand, Modern Forehand, ATP Forehand, Rick Macy calls it the ATP forehand. You know, so I've just sort of, I'm sort of building on that foundation for all my players and on the work of those, of, of other coaches who are sort of teaching a more modern style. They have more of a, more of a modern take on things and they're willing to take risks and do things differently than sort of what's in the old school playbook. You know, every coaching book that I know has that same classic forehand foundation. And I just think it's, it's, it's over, guys. Just, I wish everyone would just accept it. You can debate it with me, but it's over. That forehand is over. There's no reason to teach it. It's a relic. The only reason we teach it is purely coaching habit. I think in, at this stage, it's purely habitual. It's, it's like a chronic, uh, I don't want to say disease. But it's like something that that just just it's a custom now, and and coaches over time, as more and more players start demonstrating the modern way and how it works with the forehand, they will you know coaches are going to slowly jump on board with the new way. And I certainly predict that I don't know when ten years, twenty years, thirty years soon the the forehand that I'm teaching now will become the standard forehand. It will become the traditional forehand, and it just won't be that controversial. Right now, is, I guess we're just sort of in a transition period where there's a lot of coaches who still teach the old school way, and there's this myth that you've got to teach the fundamentals first. That's the myth that I really want to get at, get at and break, that you have to teach the fundamentals first, because I hear that all the time, but what the hell are the fundamentals? The fundamentals are what I just said. I'm teaching fundamentals. I'm just teaching modern fundamentals. You know, we still have extension. We still have, uh, we still have uh, all of the spacing and the balance and a lot of good fundamentals. It's just different fundamentals than what we've always known them to be, right? Okay, so my buddy Rick Ortiz here would like a demo, so I'm going to demo with my Filipino fighting sticks. So let me just set this up. Sorry to y'all podcast listeners. Uh, because you won't be able to see this, but so let's do like a quick, quick demo on this, right? So the other thing that I'm going to do is with, with the forehand stuff is in the show notes. So for the YouTube arc, you know, we archive the show on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt, you can get all the shows on replay. They're all archived there. Those are real good. And then we have all of the replays on in podcast format. You know, we're on iTunes now. That was like 
Huge success, guys. So happy to get on iTunes. So if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. I'd really appreciate that because we're trying to get higher up on, you know, the get a better result from the algorithm so we can get a better search results and things like that. So anyway, so let me let me demo for you guys. So it kind of looks let's see, go we have the normal, you know, modern loading. The swing goes out. Here, let me fix this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Here we go. So swing goes out, around, and then the finish. This is an inverted finish. Oftentimes you see the forearm on the stomach like this. And if you can see my Filipino fighting stick, the we'll call it the racket, is inverted. It's down. And sometimes, this is the one I like to teach where I completely break the habit of this, follow through to the neck, I completely break it with a low inverted finish underneath the left hand. That's one of my favorite things. It took me, it took a lot of chutzpah for me to start teaching it that way, and it probably will be for you as well, because you will probably receive a lot of ire and scorn from the local pros at your club or in your area, you know, but hey, if you want to be a trendsetter, if you want to be a trendsetter and you want to sort of uh, anticipate the future and, and be different, this is, how, this is how I'm doing it. I'll show you what I mean. So the finish like that, under, super low, down by the hip, that's a great way to develop relaxation throughout the swing. This helps with the elasticity of the swing, this nice loose finish. What I described as drift looks like this. A lot of players will drift low and then the racket will come up a little at the end. So there's an uh, inversion and then a drift at the end. The swing is, as I mentioned, parabolic, circular swing. So like you're going around the world with the swing rather than straight and linear to the ear. This has got to die. This teaching has, has to, it has to end, people, please. I mean, you don't have to do it for me. I appreciate all, anyone who wants to teach that is great for my business. I'm very happy because I'm a competitor and my players are going to get better faster. They're going to have bigger forehands. If you're teaching this, my players are going to improve at a faster rate than yours. And that's why I always say I think speed matters. The speed that you develop a player matters. That tells a lot about your coaching, the level of your coaching, the quality of your coaching. The best coaches develop players faster than mediocre coaches or average coaches. I firm, firmly believe that. That's why the best coaches can charge a premium. That's why the best coaches charge 300 400 500 per hour because they're developing players faster than the guys charging 75 or 100 that that's the bottom line if you can produce better results faster results you can charge more anyway this has got to die just for all you guys who are thinking the future this has got to die this follow-through wrapped around the neck i can't take it anymore right to the ear disaster creates a very tight swing creates a very tight arm you know for me building the forehand it's all about whip you got to get a great whip. And whip only comes from a looseness in the shoulder, lower arm, and wrist. You have to have a certain amount of looseness to develop that whippy quality. And that's what the Spanish do really well. They, they have these exercises to help develop 
whip. So I've incorporated a lot of those exercises into my method and into my, my system, my work system. And it's been working really well. I'd like to go over that later, maybe some of the drills, the how I do it. And I can also post links in the show notes to, we have a lot of YouTube videos on that. I have an online school at CLTA, Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy, clta.teachable.com, clta.teachable.com. We have a bunch of courses there. In fact, I have one course on the forehand there coming to mind called Hashtag Whip. That's the name of the course. And it's totally inexpensive, guys. It's like 39 bucks. And you can watch me building a modern forehand, the forehand that I'm describing, the Spanish forehand, with a lot of the Spanish exercises. And I take you through all of the steps and progressions in that course. So it's, it's a cool option. And we recently cut all the prices to make it affordable so like anyone could learn my philosophy and method. So you could check that out. I'll plug that. Shameless plug, but, uh, sorry guys. Okay, getting back to the forehand. Where was I? Okay, oh, Rick, was that enough of a demo or do you have follow-up? Let me know if you have follow-up and you need me to explain. But break in the mold, guys. Get rid of the follow-through to the neck. Get rid of the follow-through here. Stop telling kids to swing low to high. It's low, high, low. It's circular, not straight. It's open stance, not closed. It's finish or follow through, very low, loose, inverted, and with a drift, right? This is the language that I use with my students. This is my method. And what else? Ah, one more very, very important thing. Topspin. Okay, part of my approach is we get the topspin right away. Right away, we go for the topspin. And I expect my players to be making topspin from the very beginning. I mean, it's basically the first thing that I work on with kids. I have some other fundamentals that I work on, like extending, like the stance that I mentioned, stances, you know. Um, but the topspin is paramount because topspin... It's basically evidence that the swing was good and that the swing was loose, the arm was loose. If they can develop topspin, it means they have the proper amount of firmness to looseness in their arm, you know, the, the, the right, just the right amount. It means they're swinging up, lifting on the proper trajectory and that they have the racket face closed enough to create the spin. So... The topspin to me is the best evidence of a good modern swing. And I have little kids, you know, five, six, seven years old, and we get into that right away, have them swinging with the a lot of the similar checkpoints that you see with the, the modern guys, the, the modern pros, albeit at a slow, safe speed. The key is to do all of these movements in a safe way at a safe speed, uh, not to do anything... Uh, herky-jerky, or as Tony Nadal says, too abrupt, too brusca. You know, not too brusca, not too abrupt. Everything is done in a relatively smooth acceleration and at an, an age-appropriate speed. And I think that's critical. So you're shaping before teaching power, and you're developing the beautiful modern muscle memory 
without any risk of injury. You're just taking the kid through the movements in a safe way. They're, they're exploding, but it's, in a, it's a controlled safe explosion. You know, very, these are small explosions that are not dangerous for the joints or the musculature, tendons, ligaments, muscles, things like that. So that's how I look at it technically. If you've got any uh, follow-up questions, guys, let me know. Uh, very, very interesting questions already. Appreciate the discussion. Can talk about how they do it in Spain. Here's something interesting that I wanted to sort of touch on is that in Spain, my mentors, like my greatest teachers in Spain, that the people who I trust a lot, they don't teach the foreign this way. So I'm way out on the limb here on my own with this sort of innovation. And I, on some level, I don't feel super comfortable being uh, on my own because I, I, I prefer to be in alignment with with other, uh, with great coaches, you know, with, with great coaches out there who have uh, great experience. But sometimes you have to take a leap of faith. You have to move forward when other people are still sort of stuck. And so, for example, one of my best mentors, Luis Bruguera in Spain, you know, he's still teaching the foreign that I said, the foreign from the whenever, 50s, 60s, 70s, he's still teaching that foreign, man, you know? Uh, and I, I just can't get it. Like, he they, he spends so much time developing a flat stroke. You would never think that, right? Spanish coach, legendary Spanish coach. And all of the players there are basically learning, like, the Lansdorp forehand from SoCal. So that may be news for you guys that the the most legendary coaches in Spain, they don't teach topspin right away. They don't teach a lot of, they don't teach open stance. The, the legendary coaches like Pato Alvarez, Tony Nadal, Luis Bruguera, with all the young ones, all the kids who are young, they teach those kids basically out of the USPTA manual or, you know, the PTR traditional, you know, stroke that you might see on a VHA, VHS cassette somewhere from the 80s or, or early, you know, or, or gosh, even way, way earlier, you know, they're, they teach the uh, the forehand, the textbook forehand from way, way back. These are Spanish guys, and somehow those kids, as they as they get older, they 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 learn a lot of spin and whip. Maybe because they play on clay all the time, you know that could have uh, something to do with it. Uh, we definitely don't have that in, in in other parts of the world, so I think it's very dangerous to teach that style of outdated technique to kids who aren't playing on clay because they will end up with a very stiff flat strokes they they won't develop rpm uh they they may not develop whip rpm and effect on the ball that's really concerning if you teach that young the, the stroke doesn't always evolve you know so we got uh Brian back on the comments here brian let's see what you have to say on the figure eight forehand do the strings have to be facing the floor on the backswing or not so much yeah that's a great question brian thank you for sharing man appreciate the discussion the strings should definitely be facing down sometimes the strings face even to the back wall or the back fence so like a djokovic style or sock, 
You know, you see a lot of guys, I mean, a lot of guys now are turning the hand much farther than you ever thought or that people ever thought, people ever accepted. You know, that's certainly beyond what you see in a manual, a classic technique manual, you know, back to front, racket strings vertical. I mean, that's another thing that's, I guess I don't really focus on that, but it's just sort of obvious to me that n nobody plays like that anymore. I never, never teach that. Never teach like the strings vertical, you know, just drive straight through the ball, blah, 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 old school, old school, old school, classic, classic, classic. I don't do any of that. So yeah, I, I'm with, I think we're on the same page here. You're thinking strings down or you turn, or you turn your hand even past, uh, facing down. The, the hand can turn even more with the palms away from, from the net. And that's quite common with semi Western grip or extreme semi-western grip and with players trying to produce topspin that that is not uncommon at all and it's quite typical uh, it's quite normal on the uh, for the modern foreign on the pro pro tour to, to swing like that so yeah you can definitely turn the hand down or even away and it's not a big deal you know don't freak out about that certainly don't spend time trying to fix that god you see you see coaches who are like trying to make the strings like real vertical and they're just spending a lot of time on the wrist position and they just they just waste so much time with the player and this is part of what I'm talking about good coaches know not to waste time and great coaches are the most efficient of all they know what not to say they know what not to change and they know what's legit and and what it, you know they know what where they have to spend time and what's the best use of their time and that's why they're great coaches you know they're efficient and that's why I say, getting back to the second topic of the show, that don't fall for the hype. Don't fall for the, the, the classic chestnut, the classic line. You know, tennis is a long-term development thing. Or, you know, it's going to take a long time. You know, when coaches start spinning that one, I think you got to look elsewhere because it's a very dangerous phrase. Because it's basically a, a, a cop-out, it's an excuse, it's a cover-up of a coach's lack of success, lack of progress that, that he or she is making with the kid. They say, well, you know, tennis is a long-term development. It's, it's, it's a, you know, junior development's not a sprint, you know, it's a marathon. So, you know, so coaches will say it all the time to cover up their lack of, of success and the lack of speed to which they, they, they get the success, you know, the taking the, if it's taken longer and longer, there may be something wrong with what your coach is doing. Don't fall for the, the line that, Oh, it's just, it's just, you know, it'll happen next year or maybe a couple of years down the road. Remember, we don't want to rush things, right? Always the parents are rushing, right? We coaches know better. We always try, we always try to explain to the parents to have patience and don't rush it. Don't be impatient, right? Sometimes parents know better and they know that their kids should be, should be progressing faster, and they got to find a coach who's more efficient. All right, that's all I have to say about that at the moment, as it may be a topic for another show. Okay, so we talked about the grip, we talked about the stance, we talked about the the circular swing, the inversion, the drift. You know, these are all the things that I'm all about with the with the young kids who I'm coaching. Okay, so you get these you get these little kids. And you're teaching them all this stuff. 
And you want to get topspin, okay? Topspin is magic. I have a saying. Topspin is magic. Topspin is the name of the game. If you can get a little kid, like five, six, seven, eight, to be whipping some topspin, it's a really good sign. Really good sign. It means that their arm is loose. They got the right angle of the racket face at impact. They're, they're brushing or scraping well. And, you know, you combine that with the modern components that I'm talking about, the technical reference points that I'm des- describing, and you've got something really cool and really advanced at a young age. So you can get that at six, at seven, at eight, at nine, at 10, certainly. You can get the foreign to look like that, to approximate what you're seeing at the pro level, albeit at a safe speed. And then it's done. The work is done, guys. The work is, it's done at 10. It's done by 11. It's done by nine. You don't ever have to make changes again. You just monitor the grip for slippage. Make sure the grip doesn't slip as the player starts to move through the 12s, 13s, and 14s. And you, you, you make sure that the player is not falling to any traps like the biggest trap is not extending. When players finish low, a lot of times they cut short the extension. Like in Spain, they call it the line. Uh, Luis Bruguera calls it the line of the shot. Tony Nadal calls it accompanying the ball. Geoffrey Porta, the legendary Spanish coach, calls it throwing the racket out towards the path of the ball. So we're talking about extension. The biggest thing when you're teaching a modern forehand with with rotation and explosion and circular movement, parabolic swing shape, is you got to get the extension part. And that is the the part that is, I would say, somewhat traditional. The idea of moving through the ball with the hand and the racket, that is really, really important because you don't want kids cutting the swing short and following through immediately uh, low. They got to go out, extending, parabolically out and up so they have to lift and extend and then they have to come across and reel the whole thing back in and finish low the the biggest pitfall that i see is a kid whipping across too soon and not getting a good depth not getting good extension through the shot and we all we all know that we can just look out for that you know it's it's a bunch of it's a bunch of bs when you know coaches say well if you're teaching spin if you're teaching that low finish, you're not going to get depth. You're not going to get penetration of the shot. That's not true. You can still teach extension. You just teach extension within the model of, of the modern parabolic swing. That's how you teach extension. It doesn't, it's not a, an either-or situation. And by the way, topspin and depth are not either-or because you can teach a kid to drive through the ball with good RPM. And, and so they get the spin and the depth. What I tell my players is, I want spin, but I need depth with it. And then I ask them, how are you going to get depth? And they, they usually don't know. And I say, you got to extend through the ball better and lift better. And we work a lot on that part of the swing. So, you know, that, that's kind of how I see it. I guess we could get a little more into the technique if you want. It's probably enough technique for most of the audience, you know. For those of you who are really technical, you want to get more in depth, why don't you message me or you know post a comment and I can maybe steer you towards some sports science resources. But I don't want to get so heavily technical that it's just over 
you know, everyone's interest or, or, or everyone's uh, even their heads even. Uh, I do love technique. I love sports science. I love biomechanics. So I enjoy having those biomechanical discussions as well. So if you guys have a, a very detailed technical or biomechanical question, send it to me. You can send it to me via email. You can message me or leave it in the comments and I'll, I'll try to answer. And if I don't have the answer at hand, we can uh, check it with some resources, sports science resources. You know, it's good to try to find biomechanical research support of whatever you're teaching. And I, and I would say that a lot of what I'm teaching is is based on good good science. You know, good biomechanical research is just, you know, it's it's some of it you cannot support. There's not everything has been studied. We don't have studies for everything under the sun in tennis. You know, there's very few sports science researchers in tennis. So there's only uh, a small amount of research being done. So we're left as coaches to make leaps, leaps of faith, leaps of logic, leaps of common sense. And we're left to observe, at least with high-speed video, what's happening on the pro tour, what's happening with the best players in the world, what is the trend. And we have to make calculated, uh, we have to make, we have to, to, to have a vision for what's going to happen with technique down the road. And that's sort of what, what I'm, I've done and, and what I'm talking about here. So, yeah. So how do the Spanish do it? The, I mentioned that, that the famous Spanish coaches are all traditional guys, but these are old guys. You know, they're like 60, 70, you know, 50s. You know, these, these are older guys who still believe in sort of the classic model. And I just think they're sort of inframed in their viewpoint. I don't think anyone over the age of, let's say, 50 is ever going to accept that, that, that there's a new fundamental, that the, the modern foreign, that the way that I'm teaching it is a new fundamental, it's a new way to do it. It's the new standard. It's the new classic. You know, I, I don't think they'll, they'll ever accept it because they're just too in in framed in the in their old school perspective like probably the way they learned you know like tony nadal if you look at his forehand and i've watched him play it's the forehand that he's teaching all the little kids it's the old school classic forehand luis bruguera is teaching the same forehand to the kids now that he learned when he was like a kid in maybe the 50s or maybe 60s Probably 60s, right? I just think that's crazy. We shouldn't be teaching the strokes that we learned back in the day. You know, my dad taught me the same foreign. You know, over the shoulder, you know, pretty flat, you know, step in and drive it. I mean, come on. How, how can I be teaching that to my students now in the year? It's going to be 2020 coming up. There's no way, right? So I just think that's crazy. That's bogus. And I, I really am shocked that still in the, in the year 2019 that the majority of the coaching community is teaching the forehand that they learned. I can't believe it. It's, it's incredible to me that probably 90, 95% of the, uh, just from a rough, you know, rough estimate, are teaching the forehand from way back in the day. You know, the, the forehand that Borg rebelled against, the forehand that Jimmy Arias rebelled against, 
these are the guys that sort of, uh, you know, a bunch of Spanish guys, Sergio Bruguera rebelled against this forehand model. Even Agassi, to a certain extent, rebelled against, you know, he, he was a little more classic with the finish, but, but you know, the semi-open, a little more whip, you know, you, you start to see in the 80s, guys finding a better way, technically, on tour at the highest level. Jordi Aresi, another Spanish guy, big topspin forehand. Fernando Luna, top 30 player, topspin forehand. I mean, we could just go through the list a lot, you know, as you go through the list of players from 80s, early 90s, and you start to see many guys playing with more topspin and more whip, using semi open stances, more circular swings, coming off the ground as they hit. More inverted finishes, more reverse finishes, more hook finishes. You start to see that trend throughout the timeline of history. And I can't believe coaches, most, if not all of the coaches of, of today's time in 2019, just stick their heads in the sand and say, no, no, or, or hands over the ears, na, 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 boo, boo, na, 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 boo, boo. I'm just going to teach it the way I learned. And the way it's in the textbook from that it's always been in the textbook, that's the way we teach it. Because air quotes, we have to teach the fundamentals first. No, the fundamentals change. Fundamentals change over time. They're dynamic. Fundamentals are not static. They don't just exist in the bubble that never gets touched or changed or evolved, you know? Sometimes you got to burst that bubble and and embark on on radical on a radical shift, radical journey. And that that's what I've been doing here at least in my little world with my high performance players and it's been really successful. So I I'm sharing that with all you guys. It's incredible to me. It's incredible we teach the forehand like that. Like you you'd think coaches would want to like evolve You'd think they'd notice that things have changed on the tour. Give you another another example. Here, here's, here's an example of how coaches have evolved a lot. Two-handed backhand. How many coaches now insist on a one-handed backhand? Not, not many. Coaches have come full circle from basically being deniers of the two-handed backhand, the efficacy of the two-handed backhand. You know, when the two-handed backhand started coming along, it, we're talking a similar timeline, like 80s, early 90s. And, and everyone at that time, like the whole coaching community, denied that the two-handed backhand was going to work. You know, so many naysayers. And now, 30, 40 years later, what do we got? Everybody teaches a two-handed backhand to kids. Why? Oh, you know, it's easier... It's, it's better in some respects technically, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, the whole world has changed, and very few, you don't see coaches insisting on a one-hander, but if you go back in a time machine to the 60s or 70s, that was the textbook shot on the back end. It was a one-hander. Like, 98% of the pros on tour had a one-hander not that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, going back maybe to the 70s, you know, 40, 50 years. The majority of the tour, 
the great majority of the tour were all one-handed backhands. So it's remarkable to me that we we changed, we saw the trend, we we saw the evolution, and we changed our teaching methods for the backhand, but the forehand is just stuck. It's like stuck in this time warp. This we still teach this anachronistic forehand. It's out of place in the modern time. It's a relic. As I said before, it's dead. It's over, people. It's over. But no one, very few coaches have seemed to get the memo on that. It's, fa it's fascinating to me how the backhand technique has evolved a lot, but the forehand, and I'm talking with young kids, because I work with a lot of young kids, you know, prodigy maker, a lot of young kids. Uh, and I build their foundations, and and at that at that age, we we have, I guess it's the myth of the fundamentals. It's the myth of teaching the fundamentals first. We get the great base. Steve Smith forehand. Sorry, Steve, the forehand that you're teaching, man, is so outdated and old school. I'm sorry, my brother. I have a lot of respect for Steve Smith as a technician, but there's another example of a very well known coach who's teaching a very stiff, outdated style. I'm sorry to say, same with Lansdorp, same with Luis Bruguera, same with Tony Nadal, same with Pato Alvarez, same with Gilad Bloom, my old coach Gilad is teaching. It's old school, man. Don't teach that. Cut it out. Gilad should know better, man. Gilad, you know, he's going to say that he teaches it differently. He, he, he's willing to teach it the more modern way. And he knows it, too. He knows how to do it. See, that's the difference. Some coaches really don't know how to do it. Gilad knows how to teach it the modern way. But I still think he does the fundamentals first approach, which I think is, is a way to do it. I just think it's, a, it's an inefficient way to do it. So there I go. I'm just calling out some names there. You know, it's, you can teach it that way. You can teach fundamentals first, but it's going to be slower. And like I said... I believe the best coaches teach as fast as possible. They get from A to B as quickly as they can. Who wants to waste time? Why do you want to pay someone to waste your time? So you can develop a great forehand by teaching classic fundamentals, quote unquote fundamentals first. It's just going to take longer to develop it. It's a waste of time. You're teaching a separate motor program. You're creating a motor engram. And then you're, you're either erasing it or modifying it later with a new motor engram, a new motor program. It's not efficient. It's not an efficient way to teach a stroke. So that's my argument, you know. I don't know how long it's going to take to see a big shift, you know, a seismic change, a big tidal wave of change. But I think it's coming because the more young players you see doing it my way, the modern way, the parabolic way, whatever you want to call it, you, you see many kids doing it now. One of the reasons why you see many kids doing it is they just, they just look on TV and they just copy the guys they see. You know, like that's the way kids learn technique since the beginning of time. And when the TV showed guys following through like this to their ear, kids would copy that. And when the TV now shows guys following through to their hip or to the side of the bicep or to the, to the elbow... You know, when, they, when kids see that, they copy it. And then, I'm sorry to say, guys, stupid coaches, just stupid coaches, they, they take these, these kids have beautiful modern swings, right? And they come to the club 
and they take a clinic or they take a lesson. And what does the coach have them do? The first thing, he has them stepping in with the left foot and following through to the shoulder because that's the, that's the fundamentals. The kid has to learn the fundamentals first. This is beyond insanity. You have a little kid who's modeled a beautiful pro swing. He's been watching Nadal over and over again on a loop on his iPad. And he comes in for a lesson. And the coach, the, the know-it-all coach, has got to teach him the fundamentals. So they take this beautiful swing. It's like an like a Oscar Wagner special. You know, Oscar Wagner, the, the famous coach who, who got excoriated in the 70s and 80s and maybe even 90s for suggesting that players use an open stance. And he was right. You know, he was a visionary on that. I'll give him credit for that. You know, Oscar makes a, a lot of claims about, you know, his coaching and this and that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that. You know, I think Oscar's a good dude. And what he, what he called with the open stance was brilliant, genius. You know, in the 70s, no less. A guy saying, hey, open stance is more natural. You know? Open stance, it, it, it lets the body, it's easy to learn, and, it, and it's more natural, lets the body flow better. And he's right. He's 100% right. You know, open stance is, is very easy to teach, and it's very natural for most kids to hit from an open stance. And man, Oscar Wagner took so much criticism back in the day, man, and he just, he just didn't care. He had that vision, and... and and he he knew he knew in his heart, you know, or, or from the work that he did, and from his observation, his intelligent observation of of Borg, for example, because he worked with Borg and and some other players, he saw the future in some of these players, maybe some of the players from Spain, because he was back in Spain in the seventies. You know, he sort of saw the, the the writing on the wall for the forehand, and he still gets criticized for it. Like he he still, you know, we still. Don't teach open stance to young kids. Most, of the, most people don't teach open stance. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's how I see it, guys. I did want to mention that I was, I'll just do the, a quick, quick demo with the finishes. What I like, I showed you guys the inverted finish underneath the hand. That's what I really like. Like that. That's a real good one to show your students. So you got your right hand finishing below the left. But these are the other variations. You have a drifting inverted finish outside the forearm. That's a good one. Outside. The more outside you go on the finish, the more parabolic the swing was. And that's real good to get a more circular swing. You know, the, the more inside you finish, like to the ear, the more linear the swing is. We're trying to get a big circular swing around the world. So the more you can have a player finish outside the hand and drift backwards, that's a legitimate finish too. You also have the more, you know, if, you, if you're not comfortable going full inverted low finish like I'm talking about, the side of the biceps a really good one. That's the Nadal finish where he taps the side of his arm and that looks like this. And you'll, you'll see Nadal, when he's practicing, he always taps the side of his arm. It's the way he was taught how to, how to hit it. 
uh, at, when he was an advanced player with Tony. You know, Tony teaches all the young kids real tight swing up to the ear. It's, it's, it's a really ugly swing, ugly stiff swing. I cannot believe, I cannot believe Tony Nadal, who's a very progressive-minded coach, I can't believe he teaches young kids that way, but he does. You know, to me, it, it's totally... It, 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 I cannot explain it, and, and, and it's shocking that a, a coach like Tony is going to teach like the finish with the, with the elbow really high and sort of choking yourself with the racket. He teaches that. It's, it's incredible to me. The guy's so smart and, and very much, you know, he, he's always been a, a student of the game and, and someone who tries to stay on the cutting edge. I can't believe he's teaching that forehand as a cutting edge coach. I'll just leave it like that. Anyway, the, the other finish that I mentioned was to the side of the arm. That's the Rafa Nadal finish. And you'll see Rafa will tap there every time. Every time he'll tap there. All right. So that kind of gets through the basics of the forehand. The Spanish way to develop it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go over it briefly. So what I do... So what they do in Spain traditionally is they teach the old school forehand and then the kids sort of grow up on red clay and they realize that top they they, they realize at some point in their junior development that top spin is really important on clay and they they start whipping it more. That's kind of how they do it in Spain and and also the same with the open stance. They don't teach a lot of open stance at most traditional academies in Spain, although the next gen of coaches in Spain are definitely uh, teaching more open stance, you know, the more progressive coaches. But like the traditional guys, like Bruguera, uh, Sanchez and Alvarez, you know, the Sanchez Casal Academy, which is the Pato Alvarez system. Even Tony, the Nadal under the Nadal method, they teach a lot of close stance to the young kids. You know, I'm talking about you know the throughout the arc of a play, of player development. So at those places that are still traditional, that's usually when the guru coach is like over 50. Like if you have anyone in the world who's a guru coach, like a very high level esteemed coach who is over 50, they probably teach young kids this way. And I just think they're just sort of stuck. Like they're stuck in their mindset. They can't, they can't imagine teaching the foreign in a different way. They can't, they're inframed. They're inframed in a, in a perspective that they can't get out of. They're in a box and they, they can't get out of the box. It's the way they learn. It's the way they taught it all the years to all their great players. And they just can't fathom that there's a new, better way. And it would just be refreshing if some of those, like, I never want to get like that. When I'm 50 or 60 or 70 guys, pray to God that I'm still on the court, healthy and coaching. And I'm going to always try to, to, evolve you know always try to learn and change and and stay up to date on the cutting edge and be on on the vanguard of what's happening in tennis technique especially in tennis technique which is one of my passions and i hope that when i'm older i don't become i don't put get these blinders on where i can't see what's actually happening right in front of my eyes you know because tony for example tony knows he knows the way all the players swing. I mean, he, he's a great coach on tour. He has a lot of tour experience with Rafa. Look at the way Rafa swings. I mean, he talks about it all the time. But he still nevertheless says, you know, we have to teach 
the fundamentals, quote unquote, first. We have to get it right. He says we have to get it right. What is right? Right is in the eye of the beholder, and right changes. What's right evolves. The, the right technique evolves over time. The fundamentals evolve over time. They're not static. They're not stuck in time. So Tony says, he argues that you have to teach the fundamentals like we teach calligraphy in school, like we teach calligraphy before we let kids write the way they want. So he says, we got to teach uh, the old school technique first, the calligraphy, you know, the, the very rigid, strict form of writing. And then later, kids will develop their own writing mechanics according to their personal style. It's kind of ironic because a lot of schools and educators are now eliminating calligraphy from school curriculums. But ne- suffice it to say, Tony, is a, that, that's one of his arguments. He actually makes that exact, or I'm describing to you near verbatim, what he believes. He says that we have to teach, especially uh, the forehand, uh, fundamentally first, that means the, the basic form, which is calligraphy. He, he uses the, the metaphor of calligraphy. And then later on, we can, the kids can, you know, they can develop their own idiosyncr- idiosyncrasies or their own style, right? So it's kind of interesting. I, I think it's a very flawed argument from, from Tony, who's normally very perspicacious. He's very bright. He's very insightful. He's a very sharp mind. And he's a true philosopher of the game. It's just really shocking that he would teach uh, such an outdated form. Because in the end, it takes more time to do it that way. If you're going to spend the, the time to labor in calligraphy land, I mean, that's going to cost you development time. It's going to cost you time. And my whole philosophy is that you want to save time as a coach. Obviously, you don't want to rush. You don't want to hurt a player. You don't want to do anything unhealthy for a player. But in the end, you want to save time. And the better coaches are able to get to the destination faster. That's why they get paid more. That's why they charge more per hour. Because it is a race, not just a marathon. It's a sprint and a marathon. The way I described it in my article that I posted recently is that it's like sprinting a marathon you know it it is a long-term process but you definitely want to do it faster than slower and believe me if you can get your student onto varsity as a freshman they will appreciate that much more than if you get them onto varsity as a senior and they only have one year to play for their team in high school or you get all my students want to go to nationals so if i can get a student to nationals by 12 Geez, that's a lot better than getting getting to nationals at 14 or 16 most of the time. Now, I know that my buddy Gordon Paul can make a good case for some exceptions to that rule. But in general, I'm going to say I want to get my players to their highest level or their dream level as, as, as soon as I can so that they can enjoy it. And also so that I'm not saddling their parents with unnecessary bills. Like, I shouldn't want to keep a kid around an extra couple of years just because I'm getting paid, right? My job is to get a kid to the destination as fast as possible, and that's the honest thing to do, right? There, there never would be a coach who would string a kid along and tell the parents that it's a long-term process just to keep the customer, right? That would never happen in tennis, right? That would never happen in, in tennis junior development coaching circles, 
Tell me I'm wrong. I'm being sarcastic, right? Because I know that uh, that happens, right? The coach says, the coach will string a family along and tell them that there's a lot more work to be done. It's a long-term development. It's a marathon. Uh, just wait till 18 and Johnny will be, he'll be up there in the Nationals. Just wait. He's not doing so well right now. Not doing so well in the section. But if you just hang in there with me, I'm going to sell you the promise of glory when the kid is 18. And I'm telling you, parents, be very, very wary of that promise. Because a lot of times that promise is a false promise. And the gains don't actually happen at that older age. And that's when you realize that you've lost way too much time. You're behind the eight ball. And it may not be possible to catch up to all the kids who were killing it when they were younger. So, yeah, is it true that there are some kids who make it real big when they're young and then they burn out or they they fizzle, as uh, my buddy Gordon Paul says? It's possible, but it's more rare than I than I than I think. Uh, I think Gordon thinks. And also the reason that they fizzle is usually not because of a lack of talent or game. They usually fizzle for some personal reason or off court reason. Or, you know, they, they, they don't want to play anymore, or, you know, lack of motivation or something like that. It's, it's not because of the way they were developed, you know. So that's my take on it. So we did actually get onto that topic a little bit. I'd love to pick up that topic in another show. What do you guys think? It's a really interesting topic because it also relates to coaching and coaching prowess, you know, coaching ability. And I wanted to get more into that topic. I, I think we've we've had a really good show. It's been uh, I'm trying to keep the show around an hour, and and sometimes we go over if we're really having a, a great discussion. And tonight was one of those nights. I think you know around an hour is good for most most podcast cast lengths. Good for a workout. You can listen to me on your workout. And I think I want to leave that topic for a, another another show and maybe delve into it a little more detail, but. I definitely think that faster is better as long as the kid is safe. I know from a pro tour perspective that if you can get a kid making money as soon as possible, it's better for the parents and the family. You, you Pro tennis is a business, and you want to get a kid to the top as fast as they can so that they can have more earning power. And that's that's my argument for professional players. And, for example, teaching a forehand that's outdated and then trying to build upon it later by changing the motor program is not an efficient way to get to the top as fast as possible. It's, it's inefficient. And my whole philosophy is built around trying to find if the most efficient way to develop a player. And that means sometimes breaking idols. It means challenging the status quo. It means thinking outside the box. It means experimenting with some methods and progressions that maybe were unheard of in, in the past or that seem very unusual or radical. It, it, it is a radical, it takes a radical courage to try to find a faster way to build a player. But, you know, to me, that's like, that's intellectually stimulating for me. That's a challenge. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I find the way that classicists insist on teaching the forehand. I find that the way they do it is really boring. 
it's really not that much of a challenge. I can teach that classic forehand with my eyes closed. It's, it's, it's not a matter of me being unable to teach, quote unquote, the fundamentals. I just think it's, it's boring and it's not challenging to me as a, as a coach, not challenging to my intellect and my, my brain and my heart are telling me, and now my experience are telling me that there's a better, faster way. So my instincts are to challenge that traditional approach. And I'm, I'm doing it uh, on the court for years now. So I have the, I have the, the evidence. It's not, uh, it's not scientific evidence, but it's my, my, my personal experience and my exper experiential evidence. And that, that's all I can share with you guys. You know, you can take it or leave it. Obviously, some people will say, yeah, that guy's a, that guy's crazy. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I think if you watch the videos that I'm doing, and if you see the players I'm developing, you see the track record that I have, you'll see that, that I'm not, I'm not that crazy. Maybe I'm a little bit out of the box thinker, but, but, uh, certainly I, I try to think very deeply about what I'm doing and I care a lot about the safety and welfare of my students. That to me is paramount. So I want to get my players better faster, but keep them safe at the same time. So it's always that balancing act. Yeah, we want to do things better, but we also need to do things in a safe way. So for me, that, that those are the priorities, faster and safer. If you can find a faster way that's also safe for a kid, that should be the new quote unquote fundamentals. Guys, it's been an amazing show. I loved having the discussion. Uh, it was great to see old friends tuning in. And I really appreciate your support. Without you guys, the show wouldn't be a success. And what I would really love you to do is to give me thumbs up and likes and to share. If you could please share the show with your friends, with fellow coaches, with fellow parents. Tell them about the Prodigy Maker. Tell them about the show. Tell them that there's a legit high-performance coach who is going live every week, who is willing to answer questions from anyone from around the world. And I'm happy to help parents, and I especially love helping the kids out there. So tell, tell everyone who is interested in technique or junior development. Let everyone know about the show. Also, guys, I'll remind you, please... If you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, I'm super excited about the new show in the podcast version, and we just got on iTunes. We're trying to grow that community. If you could please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review, that would be so awesome. I would really appreciate that. And also remember, the show is always archived on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt, or just search Chris Lewitt in YouTube. We have a great channel there, a lot of free stuff, and the show is absolutely free. 23 episodes now. Go to YouTube and enjoy. You can catch me on video, or you can just listen to my voice when you're working out or you're driving in the car on your favorite podcasting platform. We got iTunes, we got Spotify, we're on, we're on everything now, so I'm, I'm so glad to get that going, and I know that's a, that makes it easier for you guys. Sometimes it's hard to watch a video, but it's really easy to let a podcast play in the in the background. So thank you guys. Thank you for your support. It was an awesome show. Have a good night. God bless. See ya. We hope you enjoyed the program.
please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vamos!